Amen. If Mr. Trump had heard that, he would be in better shape right now. Hallelujah. Um, how many of you are glad your life hasn't been recorded to play back at your job interviews? The Lord said, Amen. From my daughter-in-law, my other granddaughter is texting me during church. Daughters and granddaughters can do anything they want. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because boys carry their father's pride and strength. Daughters hold their father's hearts. Amen? Hallelujah. And the hardest thing to do is for a father to walk his daughter down the aisle and give his heart away. Amen. You look in the eyes of that guy and you say, I will kill you if you break my heart. Amen. Hallelujah. Open your Bibles up to 1 John chapter 4. And uh, with everything going on, you're going to get the Reader's Digest version of this message. But I believe the Lord has something specifically to say. I really feel like God is trying to encourage uh, some folks. Two weeks ago as I ministered on, never give up on your dream. And Sean said as he preached last week that it was something that God had been stirring in him. And I believe God is trying to say something to uh, us as a congregation and to many of us individually on what's happening. One of the things that I see in serving the Lord that is important is, uh, is to serve God with longevity with the same intensity that you had at the beginning. Because the longer we serve God, we feel like it's easy to say, well, I've done this, I've been here. It's very easy to get bored, to get burnt out, to give up, to let go, to excuse yourself, instead of keep pressing in. But I just want to encourage you, keep pressing into God. You were created for greatness. God marked you and measured you for greatness when He created those little twins this morning. They already have God's assignment set in their life. And our responsibility is just to help them to grow and to find that and to discover that. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. Father, I pray in these next few short moments that you will speak to each and every one of our hearts, that you will help us to see, to understand and perceive the greatness that you have set upon our lives. Father, I thank you for all that you've done in us and all you desire to do through us. We need, Holy Spirit, for you to come now and bring the truth and the revelation that only you can bring to our lives and to our hearts. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Praise the Lord. Look at the cover of your outline, if you would. I don't have time to read John chapter 44 and verse 51, but th uh, John chapter 1, verses 44 through 51. But it's the account of Philip going and getting his brother uh, Nathaniel. And as Nathaniel's coming, Jesus sees him afar off and says, Nathaniel, uh, before Philip got you, I saw you under the fig tree. And uh, Nathaniel said, Man, uh, you must be the Lord, you must be the Christ and that. And, and Jesus said, oh, you marvel because I said I saw you under a fig tree. You'll see greater things in these. And I just want to encourage you this morning. God has ordained for you to see greater things in your life than you have already seen. <coughs> Amen. And so he always ordained that our end would be greater than our beginning. 
Nobody starts at, at, at the greatness of their life in, in the fullness of what God has for us. This is the journey. Amen? It's a marathon, not a sprint. So walking with God takes the determination to see His greatness come to pass in your life. And uh, this week, as we were down with a group of pastors, and Pastor Francis and Fuso from the Rock of Roseville uh, has been calling us together, and uh, we did our first gathering in April of this year, and then we met again at the Home of Peace in Oakland. And just an amazing place. It was built uh, around 1885, 1895, somewhere in there. And uh, it became a kind of like a motel, but more kind of like a bed and breakfast place in that, but a gathering place and a chapel there. And so when Oakland was the port of Oakland, uh, at that time in the port there, as ships came in before air travel was the main means of travel, people traveled by boat and came in. So missionaries and evangelists and, and different people would come. They need a place to stay. So this retreat little center was, was placed there. It's amazing the people who had stayed there. Uh, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, uh, Amy Simple McPherson, uh, Mary Wedworth Edder, um, just amazing people have been there. Smith Wigglesworth stayed there. So you get in there and I'm wondering, man, am I sleeping where Smith slept? You know, it's kind of crazy. And uh, so there's just awesome, just the presence that is there and different ones who have met there and they would stay there for extended periods of time just seeking the Lord and waiting on the Lord. So in having a time together and while we're there, we pray for one another and pastors and leaders and encourage one another and, uh, and in ministering to those and part of a word that God gave me to a young man, to a pastor's son, was just in that area of understanding that God doesn't make copies. God doesn't do copies. God's a God of original. He doesn't make copies. He makes us original for ourselves. And then, but that He sets assignments on the inside of us. And every person's assignment is individual. not called to replicate what somebody else made. Because God doesn't make us a copy, therefore He doesn't ask us to copy anybody else. Doing all right? And so when you, when you take an acorn and, and, and you look at that, you know that every acorn has an oak tree on the inside of it. Now when you go out across our hillside up here, we have a multitude of oak trees. And I love the oak trees. I love the shade. I hate this time of year. And uh, I don't like oak leaves falling, having to clean them up and doing all that. But when you look at the different, just around our house, we have four oak trees that, that are around our house, and every one is of a different size. We have a large one right in front of our house. We have a smaller one behind our house, and on the side of our house, our neighbors has, has uh, uh, two of them over there, and then my other neighbor has a couple on the other side, and they're, all their trees kind of lean over on my side. I would be happy to clean up just my leaves and clean up theirs too. Anyway, that's another sermon at another time. And, uh, <laughs> but, but with that, every one of those trees is individually different. They're oak tree, but every one is of a different size and different things. And so many times we can look, and especially in America today, greatness is defined differently than how God defines it. And we have to be careful that we're not allowing culture to define our perception of what it means to be great in God. Because many times we think, man, if I just hung out with better oak trees, I'd be a better oak tree myself. If I could just get around some real majestic giants, you know. And uh, so, but, but that isn't how it works. An oak tree has an assignment on the inside of us. And greatness in God is not determined upon how great you become. And when you plant that oak tree, if you get around, a, if you get around an oak tree, if you could talk to the oak tree and have a conversation, you could say, man, what did you do to become great? Nothing. What I am was in the seed. 
Amen. And so if a tree can't make itself greater than the assignment that it has, how can you and I add anything to the assignment that God set for our life? And what happens is, is that when we try to define what greatness is in God, we, we try to think, man, I could take what God wants to do in my life and make it so much better if He would just let me do this. Or add this, or do this, or do that. But, but that, doesn't, that, that isn't how that works. Are you with me? So it's just so important to understand that God has greatness for our lives. It's assigned to us, and that everyone has been measured for that to happen in our life. Look at the cover of your outline. The will of God is for everyone to live in the fullness of the increase of harvest that He has pre-assigned to their lives. Every one of you in this room has a pre-assigned harvest, destiny and purpose from God upon your life. Just as little Kendall and Emily have it upon their, and little Zoe in first service has all these new little baby girls coming in. They all have that purpose. Our Heavenly Father is our Creator and He created us with purpose, on purpose and for purpose and then He calls us to do it. God calls you to do what He created you to do. And it's such a release when you can move out of the competition of having to make yourself great and just live to be and fulfill the assignment that God put on the inside of you. Amen? The key to living by provision connected to His purpose in our life is many times takes just a simple adjustment. But just because it's simple doesn't mean that it will be easy to do or everyone would be walking in the fullness of God's provision for their life. It, it isn't hard to do it. And sometimes to, to get to that place of seeing God's purpose be fulfilled, it just takes a little bit of adjustment. But sometimes it's the simple things that turn out to be the hardest things for us to do. See, in a world that's looking for the new and the next thing, we need to hear and understand the inside of EM Bounds. I love Ian Bounds, a great guy. Most of his writing was done in the last 20 years of his life. He was an apostle of prayer. But I love this statement, men are God's method. While people uh, are looking for better methods, God is looking for better men. See, we live in an age in a society that keeps telling you, man, that the next great model is coming out. We're getting this. And so when they, with phones and stuff, there, there's certain things they can do with the process. Okay, it's going to be a little bit faster. Um, it's going to be a little bit lighter. The new iPhone 7 is going to be, you know, more waterproof. We're going to take the jack out. We're going to do the, okay, we're doing superficial stuff. But just to make it better. So we think that's going to make it better. But really, um, and, and we, so we think we have something new. It has to be defined. We're always looking for the newest and the greater thing that is going to make us better. God says, I already made you the best that you will ever be. God made you the best that you will ever be. All you have to do is agree that you are already measured for greatness. Amen. You're already assigned to greatness. God just needs people. All God needs is people who will follow his plan to receive his provision to accomplish his purpose. That's all he needs in your life and mine. Now, let me give you some instruction about prosperity this morning. Prosperity, this is my definition of prosperity, the flow of God's provision to accomplish his purpose. How many have ever seen the, 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 the reality thing out there called the shark tank? 
The Shark Tank is this. People with, with ideas come up and, and, and they create things. They have a business started. They have a product or whatever. And so they go to these, uh, the, these capital investors and stuff and uh, they try to get them to invest into their business and support them so they can get the marketing or the public, you know, everything they need or the production to, to really launch their business to be a success. So they're trying to convince people with resource to fund their idea. Amen. And many times we think that's what we need to do with God. And, and so, but I was watching this the other night. I've never watched the whole show, but it came on. And I watched just the beginning of it. And uh, it, it was these two ladies coming out, these two sisters coming out. And uh, they uh, had designed these swimsuits for, for, for moms. And, uh, and so they, they both, their, their sister, they both have had four children. And so they felt they needed something other than a bikini. And uh, so I guess the women understand all that. But, but with that, so they're designing these things. But then these guys are just, they, and they showed it. It looked like they'd done a good job. They were, uh, you know, in that. And then the guys are just going down the line, one down the line, tearing apart their ideas, saying, no, I'm not investing. I'm not investing. I'm not investing. There's no gain there. There's no gain there. And then finally, the last person said, I see this. And it was a lady on the panel. She says, I see this. And, and I'm going to invest, but a much higher rate of return. It's going to cost you more for me to invest in your idea. I thought that's interesting. That's the way the devil negotiates with us. He says, I'm going to bless you and I'll help you and I'll fund your idea, but it's going to cost you more than you wanted to pay. Amen. But God has one. God doesn't ask us to present him with business ideas. He doesn't ask us to present him with ideas to define our greatness in life. He says, this is my plan. This is my purpose. And I gave you an assignment in it. And so when we pitch all of our ideas to God, God says, the only plan I, the only business I invest in is my business. Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. Say, Pastor, why are you saying that? Because that statement, the flow of God's provision is to accomplish his purpose. God is not funding subsidiary companies. He's not a venture capitalist. He's not going to fund our ideas to see if they work. He asks us, he says, if you will come in to my business, into my plan, I've given you a place where you fit, I've positioned you, and I've equipped you to fit in my plan, and my plan is fully funded. Are you with me? And so when we step into the plan of God, we go, man, it's amazing. As I step in, I'm walking with, it just seems like God keeps bringing things, and it works together, and God continually is bringing His provision through my life. Amen? Because we're called to live to purpose, but it's His purpose, not ours. The same way that an oak tree can't design a plan for its life to make it a better oak, we can't design greater purpose than what God has assigned to our lives. Are you with me this morning? So important that we understand that. So what do we have for a foundation? Look at prosperity. Prosperity without purpose will only lead to deception and perversion. Prosperity that flows to accomplish purpose directs my focus and protects my life. Maybe you won't get anything out of that, but I pray you hear that this morning. That when you're living according to purpose, that that prosperity that comes with that always protects your life. Amen. I get that every time I preach. It's all right. It's the Holy Ghost. It's good. Conviction. Amen. Say what? For us, we have to determine to have a standard for our lives, our homes, and our ministry. How do we fulfill? At the beginning, how many know success doesn't just happen by accident? 
You go and meet a successful person in life, you go, hey, how did you become a success? I don't know, I woke up yesterday and I just was. It never happens. Success happens on purpose. It happens with the plan. And it usually begins by setting your standards at the beginning. What are your standards? What are you gonna, what's, what, what's negotiable? What is not negotiable? The, the, our, our young parents growing up, we try to encourage them having children. Set your standards for your home before your children get to debate age. If you wait till you're debating issues with your children, you're in trouble. But if you decide this is the standard for our home, these are our standards. These are the non-negotiables. And so you set that and then you abide with husband and wife. You decide what is the standard of our home. Are, are, are you a God-centered home? Are you serving God first and foremost in there? So set that standard first. Where do we get those standards? The Word of God gives us those standards for our life. There's three functions to the Word of God found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4. through 4. We don't have time to read it, but it, it is to guide us, to guard us, and to govern us. Peter says, as the shepherds, shepherds lead, feed, and protect. Or they guide, govern, and uh, uh, they, they guide, guard, and govern our life. So with that, holding on to the Word of God. The Word of God, the guidance of God's Word gives me the direction for my path. Amen? So I have to hold on to that. The, guard, the Word of God guard me. The law of God, if I make it my principle for living, it will guard and protect my life. The heart of God governs my motivation and governs our lives by revealing His heart to us and allowing us to respond. Let me go back up to that first part of guiding. I encourage you to go home today. Read Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And in that, you'll find out it gives you instruction that if you do this, this is the result. And there's four things in that first... Uh, eight chapters that the Word of God speaks to us that when we do, do things that it has a positive effect upon our life and brings a return to our life. Now hear me this morning when it comes to prosperity. Men, families, and nations are not great by the wealth of their virtues, but by the, but by, uh, the virtue, or excuse me, are great by the wealth of their virtues, not by the virtue of their wealth. Amen. Money isn't going to make you virtuous. Could anybody say amen? amen? In fact, money will show what your true virtues are. Amen. amen. We are great by the wealth of our virtues, not by the virtue of our wealth. Wealth does not make you right. I'm sick and tired of Hollywood people telling us what we should think. It's because you have a couple million dollars, it doesn't mean you're smart. Amen? amen? It, it, it just doesn't mean that. So it doesn't mean you have virtue. Are you with me? Or in that area of success. Virtue is defined by what God declares that it is. See, money gives you the opportunity and the power to do what is right. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6 if you have your Bibles with you. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy instructing him. Chapter 6 and verse 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. I mean, that's a good word right there. Well, I'm rich. Not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on 
eternal life. It's amazing that Paul said the goal is eternal life. Amen. Not eternal finances, but eternal life. And God uses and He brings provision, but having that right perspective, having that right standard about what your virtue is going to be is so important. See, we should be able to listen to the Holy Spirit until we can see what the need is and then move to meet the need. Put it the eternal things first. Kingdom purpose <clears throat> and make the priority of your life and the temporal will always take care of itself. When I set His kingdom first, all these things are added to us. Could you say amen? amen. Now, I hope you get this right here and, uh, and don't forgive it. Never violate your values to fulfill your need. Amen. People ask that question, what would you do for a million dollars? What would you do for a million dollars? And we start thinking, well, what could I do with a million? Well, well, I don't know. What are you asking me to do? <laughs> well, if you did this, if you did that, if you do this, you do that. What, what would you do for that? Ne what would you do for that great job? What would you give up? What would you compromise with? Never violate your virtue. Amen. Never give that up. Never violate your values to fulfill your need. Your virtue is your greatest value. Never sell it for money. Amen. Never sell it for money. We live in a day and an age when in order you could have this job, you just have to give up this. You just have to be okay with this. You just have to accept this. And, uh, you know, there was a, well, I just need to move along. I can't get into that. Genesis chapter 26 and verse 25, there's a great verse in there concerning Isaac. In Genesis 26, you read the account, Isaac is dwelling in the land. He's prospering. He's trying to find a place. He'd settle someplace. He kind of tried to establish himself. And then he's there. And then he's digging wells. Wells is the livelihood. And that. So he's in there. They're digging their wells. They're taking care of their flock. And then people are always coming in, throwing dirt in his wells, messing up. He just can't find any peace. And then finally, in verse 25, you find out that he settles in Beersheba. And there he does this. Genesis 26, 25. There he built an altar. Then he pitched his tent. And then he dug his well. And that principle there is for our life. To accomplish God's purpose in your life. Say, Pastor, I thought we were talking about greatness and purpose. I am. It's foundation in our life that allows us to achieve God's greatness in our lives. If I don't get foundation right, I, I don't accomplish these other things. Your altar, your tents, and wells are the order that God has for your life. Then the next thing that happens, Abimelech comes to him and he makes a covenant with peace with him. And then the days of the adversary coming against him and plugging his wells and not being in peace. And he settles and he calls the name of that well Sheba, which is the name of the place Beersheba in Israel Today, when you build your altar, or T.W. Gaston said this, when charm wears off, you have nothing left but character. Amen? So your virtue and your character is so important. So build your altar. What that means is set God first and foremost in your life. What's your standard for your home? Is God first or do other things come in play and you try to find God time for God afterward? Then set God first. Have that as a priority in your life. God first and foremost in your life. Pitch your tent. Build your home on the principles of God's Word. And then dig your well. Now establish your business and your peace. We live in a society that is caught up in getting your business, getting your job. And then after you get the great job, then you'll get a great home. And then after you get your job and your home, then you'll try to figure out when you have time to go to church and serve God. 
And they wonder, how come these things are turned around? How come things aren't working? Years ago, I had a family that transitioned, and they were just, the guy got his dream job. When we first, I mean, we first started the church. He had his dream job, and uh, there's some transition that he went to, and the job that he always wanted to do, and uh, it required him moving and relocating. He went from uh, working in Sacramento to working over in uh, Sonoma, and he got this job at this creamery over there, and, uh, and it was his perfect job. The job was perfect. But then they had to sell their home that they owned in El Dorado Hills, and they couldn't sell it, and the price kept going down, and they ended up taking a bath on that home. And then they, had to, they ended up moving into Fairfield, and they bought a home there, and, and then that home came with nothing but problems, 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 and the backyard, and erosion, and building this stuff, and doing this stuff, and yada, yada, yada. And they came in there so frustrated, and they couldn't find a church to go to. No church was great. Nothing was working. And, and they came in, and they're just like broken. They're standing before me and said, well, Pastor, we don't understand what's going on. I said, well, you're out of order. I go, what do you mean you're out of order? I said, you went after a job and then you went after your home and then you tried to figure out where you were going to establish your altar. Amen. I'm probably not making any friends right now, but that's not my job. Amen. <laughs> it's kind of like being a parent. My job is not to be your friend. My job is to be your pastor. Amen. And so, and so then, and, and then they even came and visited us one Thanksgiving and said, we just can't find a good church. Can we like come over once a month? We'll just pay our tithes here and everything. We just can't find another church. But to be where God has you, where your altar is to be established, establish your altar, then establish your home, and then establish your business, and God will bless you, and you'll be in that place of peace, and God's greatness can flow out of you. They couldn't serve. They had such great gifts in ministry, but because of that, they weren't involved doing anything. They just, nothing of kingdom purpose was flowing out of their life. And I know that applies to nobody in here, but you can pray for them. Amen? <laughs> so let me ask you this. See, once upon a time, there were dreams. Dreams of greatness. A time when we wanted to do great things for God in serving and giving and being used by God. Unfortunately, along the way, too many have given up because of the obstacles in their way and the people around them. That's why I said at the beginning, serving God long term takes some dedicated passion. Because some of you guys are going to be home group leader. You go, man, I've been doing this for a year. I'm just tired. Well, we don't need them anymore. People don't need fellowship anymore. Anymore. I've been working in the nursery ever since I've been going to this church. Good. We don't have any more children? No more? How many know what I'm saying? You, see there? I'm just telling you. Said, yes. So you got to get an amen from the baby corner. Amen. I've been doing this. I, I, I've been helping out with this. I've been helping out with that. And just go. Yeah, the need is always there. The difference is when you started, you had passion and zeal for it, but now it's, just the, the, the work, now it's just the work of the ministry. It's no longer the fun and the excitement of it. It's the work of the ministry. It's the work or purpose put on inside of us. Greatness is connected to work and the grind and the staying there and keeping it going. How many know what I'm talking about? Praise the Lord. So to get that going. See, we had that, but obstacles and people and everything else around that causes us to lose that. God's trying to stir us back to that. Most think that if God assigned our purpose and destiny, then He will bring it to pass. He designed and planned our destiny and purpose, but we're the ones who will possess it. God said to the nation of Israel, I'm giving you the land. They go, great, we should just walk in here and get it. The first piece they come to to conquer has a wall. 
Amen. And so they have to, and God gives them the plan, He gives them the strategy, but they're still the ones who walk it out, and they're still the ones who fight the battle, and the ones who possess it. Everything in our life is either in us, or within the grasp of our faith to possess it. We just have to rise up and move towards it, or begin to draw it out. Draw it out of yourself, the gifts and the abilities, everything God put in you, and then by your faith, start moving toward what else is needed. Whether it's a promise or fulfillment, a purpose, we must move to make it come to pass. God is the author, but we are the recipient and the one with the authority in the earth. Jesus said, go in my name and go in my authority. He authors our faith, but we walk in the fulfillment of it. Are you with me this morning? So it takes what has happened. That means it takes our agreement by word and deed to bring it to pass. I wish we could just sit around and confess everything was going to happen. I wish it just came by confessing. I'm confessing and confessing and confessing and confessing and confessing. I'm confessing and confessing and confessing. I'm confessing my confessing my confessing. I'm a professional confessor. Amen. What are you doing? Confessing. What else are you doing? Confessing. How's that going? I'm confessing. I'm confessing it's turning around. What else are you doing? Confessing. Good. It takes word and deeds to do it. You have to have action. There has to be something to declare. Words are so important. What you say is so important. Confessing the word of God. Keeping yourself in agreement with God's word. Declaring it and speaking. Speak life. Amen? Speak God's purpose over your life. Make your confession absolutely 100%. But it takes words and deeds. Amen. So we're not just to be hearers, but also to be doers. Amen. Many have given up on the idea that big dreams and goals are achievable. Far too many have lost the sight of the greatness He placed within them. See, years ago, Converse had this for a slogan. Champions are born and then made. I love how Converse tennis shoes have come back. They were popular when I was in high school. That's what we wore all through school with Converse. Now they're back on the scene. So I like that. The ad implied that the innate greatness we possessed at the moment we came out of the womb would soon be replaced with seeds of limitations and defeat. Think about that. These two little baby girls we dedicate this morning, seeds of greatness on the inside of them. Greatness and destiny on the inside of it. And mom and dad have to release them to that and encourage them to that. To believe that God could do great things through their lives. Amen? But around them, they're going to hear the words of limitation. See, we're born to win, yet soon we're conditioned to lose. And we too easily let go of our dreams and settle for just an existence. I would encourage you, don't give up on your dreams in God. God's purpose is alive on the inside of you. Too many are tempted to set their dreams aside before they make the slightest effort to achieve them because of fear. What do people fear? Many times the unknown. Because change brings us into a new place. Here, Everybody here, you're all comfortable right where you are. Everybody's comfortable right where you are. But where you are isn't God's dream for your life. It isn't the fulfillment of His purpose. So something has to change. You're going to have to move into a realm of the unknown. You're going to have to step outside of comfortable to get into the provision of God. Are you with me this morning? You just have to do that. You have to be willing to do that. But that's a scary place to be. But it's the place where faith begins to operate. And then people, well, what if I do that and I fail? Many times I, I appreciate the word of the Lord coming this morning. And so people say, well, I would give the word of the Lord. But what if it's not God? Well, go ahead and give it anyway. I mean, unless you're going to cuss us out. 
Amen? Come on, it brings edification. How, how do you learn? You learn by trying. No, nobody's going to criticize people for trying, for reaching out, for growing, for being responsive to God, to trying to learn the voice of God. We want people to learn the voice of God. God still speaks and He uses you. And part of the greatness that He has in your life is connected to the edification of other people, ministering to others. Something, this thing has to flow out of you. Are you with me this morning? It has to flow out of you. I like it. We must desire to do more than just live lives of quiet desperation, waiting on God, hoping He will show up. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, I put it in the message two weeks ago, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. I need the worship team to come back. Hallelujah. See, we're called out of and into His purpose that leads us to our potential. Colossians 1, verses 12 and 13 says, We are called out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His light. We need to look at what God is calling you out of as well as into. God calls us out of something. To find the greatness in God, you have to be called out of something and you're entering into something else. His plan, His purpose for your life. When you become a Christian, when you say yes to God, you have to be willing to leave some things behind. Jesus, when it came to discipleship, in, in Luke chapter 14, 33, it's there. He says, you cannot be my disciple. No one can come after me and follow me unless you deny yourself. And so that means I'm leaving something behind, but I'm moving forward to something better. Amen? I'm following him. I like what David Platt said. He said this. He said, Jesus didn't tell his disciples where they were going. He just told them who they'd be with. Sometimes we don't move because we want to know all the answers. The answer is Jesus is with you. You're following Him. How many know there's a whole sermon right there? <laughs> Followers of Jesus don't always know where they're going, but they always know who they're with. In a world where everything revolves around protecting yourself, promoting yourself, preserving yourself, entertaining yourself, comforting yourself, taking care of yourself, <laughs> Jesus says, slay yourself. Amen. Or deny yourself and follow Him. See, there's a difference between God's will for our lives and His will in our lives. God's will for our lives and in our lives are different. In our lives, it's universal. For everyone in this room, for every person in the world, God's will is the same in them. His will is salvation, health, strength, peace, provision. Everybody just look up here just for a moment. God wants you prosperous, extremely prosperous, overflowing prosperous. Why? So that His ministry can flow through you. All ministry flows through giving. There's, ministry doesn't work any other way except through giving. God wants you prosperous to get you out of the position of need. Are you with me? You have to get out of the position of need into the position of being able to release. Because as long as I'm in the position of need, I'm always looking to receive, not looking to give. God's will for your life is to be prosperous so that you can move from needing to giving. That's His will in us. 
And I come to a place where I agree with that. And, and then I agree, just like Sean said, we agree by sowing and releasing. And you release His purpose through your life. And by sowing, it just brings the flow of His purpose and His provision through your life. And then God's plan for our lives is personal. In us, it's universal. But for us, it's personal. Because we're called to purpose. You're called to something totally different than what I'm called to be. Amen? You're called to something different. That, that's individual. You fit someplace. I thought about this this morning. I was thinking about it. In God's plan, if you just think about it, in everything, in the plan of eternity... God set this great plan and He gave you a specific place in it. An amazing place in His plan. And His plan is the redemption of humanity. And when we get to heaven, we're going to see how His purpose was a part of bringing billions of souls into His kingdom for all of eternity. And we think, well, the, the world always wants us to define our greatness. And we get caught up in that. Pastors are the worst at being insecure. We're at this little prayer gathering, and I'm sitting next to this gentleman, and we're having, he's asking me about my church. And, and before we get like into the third or fourth sentence, the question is, how big is your church? I'm like, what the heck does that matter? It doesn't matter. What matters is, am I being obedient in what I'm called to do and where I'm called to do? Amen. So it, it doesn't matter about that. But am I, God is always productive. What God does in your life is always increasing, always growing. There will always be increase when you're with God. But we're not in a competition or in comparison. That's right. yeah. Amen? But so I'm being faithful. And so then we get in all this. But if you, if you look at how the kingdom works, you take Philip. God said, if Sean was Philip, God said, go down to Samaria and preach in Samaria. He goes down and preaches a citywide revival. The whole city gets saved. And he could be thinking, man, I can't wait to see what's next. I just reached the city. I'm going to be going to this. Who knows? The amazing doors are open. God says, here, here's the next thing. Go talk to this dude over here. He takes him from a city to one. The purpose of God took him from something that we would call amazing and great and took him over to just one person. But in reaching that one person, he reached the Ethiopian eunuch who didn't have a city inside of him. He had a continent inside of him. The Ethiopian eunuch went back to the northern region of Africa and from there the gospel is spread out and oh millions, hundreds of millions of Christians have been birthed out of that one seed of God flowing through one man where the purpose was to go and reach one. But our mindset gets wrapped around when it comes to achieving God's greatness and fulfilling His dream. We keep shaping it with the, with the way our mind has been conformed to this culture. And we think, oh, I did this thing. Then the next great thing God's going to do in my life. I'm looking for the great. We thought, and so it's kind of dangerous talking about greatness because we start thinking, great. But the great thing is the obedience thing that God has for your life. Because from one came a nation. Amen? That was in them. And so then you get there. The cool thing with God is that we may find out that the person we thought who did nothing maybe reached one, two, three, or four people over their whole life. But you never know who those people reached, who the next person they reached, and the next person they reached. And even the people who we think have mega ministries 
may stand next to a little grandma in heaven and she's just smiling with millions of souls behind her and then with a few thousand behind them. How many know what I'm saying? I'm just telling you God's economy is not American economy. And His greatness is in you. And He wants to reach things through you. But you have to press through. You have to go back. You have to set, God, I'm going to build my altar. I'm going to establish my home on Your Word. Then I'm going to be about my Father's business. And I'm going to keep things right and set in order in my life. Amen? I don't have time to finish it. You read the rest of it. Get saved and obey God. <laughs> Bow your heads with me this morning. Say, Pastor, how do I begin? How do I begin? How do I set my feet on a path of greatness with God? The very back page you're outlined, there's three things that I put there. David said, Psalms 27, One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after. See, all God asks us to do is one thing at a time. One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I may seek the Lord all the days of my life and worship at His footstool. I'm, I'm going to seek God all my life, and I want to worship at His footstool. That's my one desire. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Lord, what must I do to be saved? The Lord said to him, one thing you lack. And then Paul said in Philippians 3, this one thing I do. Do one thing at a time. Your desire, you need singleness of desire. When the Lord says singleness of focus, God never comes to you with a list of things to do. He'll speak to you one thing at a time. One thing you lack. That gives us singleness of focus. And then lastly, Paul said this one thing I do. That gives us singleness of action. Just act on one thing at a time. Keep your focus on one thing at a time. And keep your desire set on God. Singleness of focus. You begin to see God's greatness begin to surface and flow through your life. Father, this morning while heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Lord, I'm praying. I, I know, God, these last three weeks you just had this stir and you put it in me. You put it in Sean. Lord, it's something we can't let go of. You're trying to stir your people to the place of greatness that you've ordained over their lives. To get us past areas where we may have let things slip, realign things, where the enemies tried to come in. The devil knows each one of us carry amazing greatness, assignment from you. He is desperately afraid that we would say yes to you. He trembles at the thought of your people saying yes to you with all their hearts. He's frightfully bound in fear by the thought of your people desiring to fulfill your purpose through their life. So He attacks us with confusion, with people, with situations, with circumstances. He uses His main weapon of discouragement to get us to give up and to back off. But Father, today we are not ignorant of His devices. Amen. And we